Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Because of the strange fixture time last night, uh, we haven't got the regular Friday podcast for you. And because uh, James is doing his show in the Soho Theatre, he wasn't able to see the game, so he's not able to join us to talk about it this morning for an Arscast Extra. So we've, we're sort of caught between two stools, and one of those stools is uh, Andrew Allen. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning to you. Uh, you were at James's show the other night, I believe. I was. It was really good. Mm. Yeah. Um, I wasn't entirely sure what to expect. Um, I'd sort of read a few bits and bobs, you know, a couple of reviews and stuff, but I, I wasn't entirely sure of the concept. And um, it's a really clever format. It's actually kind of very touching and funny, and um, he's, done a, he's done a fantastic job. He must be knackered, though, because doing that for an hour every night must be so tiring. Yeah, it's on in the Soho Theatre, and if you go to SohoTheatre.com, if you're at a loose end this weekend, I think there are some tickets left for James's show, which is called uh, The Boxer. So uh, check out SohoTheatre.com and uh, get down and uh, watch James do his thing. Um, it's also a fairly um, momentous morning, Andrew, because I, I noticed from your Twitter that you posted up. Uh, it's seven years to the day since you interviewed Mikel Arteta for Arsblog News. And there's a picture of Mikel Arteta looking at you like he's just giving Genduzi an instruction which doesn't seem to be <laughs> connecting. Um, <laughs> uh, can, can you recall your your impressions of the, uh, the, the former captain and now manager back then? Did you think, wow, this guy's got what it takes to be the man in charge of Arsenal? Or were you just thinking, whoa, what hair? Well, I mean, at that day, I, I did, because the questions that I was asking him were led by Arsblog readers, and mm. I had to ask him about the hair. And that was quite a scary moment, because I wasn't entirely sure how he was going <laughs> to react, but he took it with good grace. Um, at the time, I mean, there was no real suggestion that he was sort of even contemplating a full-on career in coaching. I think he was sort of still focused very much on playing. Mm. He was a bit tentative when it came to talking about coaching. Obviously, he, he did, I think he touched on the fact that he played under David Moyes and Arsene Wenger, and they were two very different styles. Um, but that whole Pep Guardiola link hadn't really raised his head at that point. Um, but he was, he was quite softly spoken. So when we saw the first press conference that he did, as Arsenal boss, I was very taken aback by how, how kind of like confident he he was and how assertive. It felt like there was a real change there. So, 
um, yeah, I obviously gave him a very good pep talk that day. Sure, obviously. It was uh, 2013 as well, so he would definitely have been uh, concentrating on his playing career and, uh, you know, being part of the team which finally broke that trophy drought in, in 2014. Uh, he is now the man in charge of Arsenal and Arsenal played Euro- Europa League action, or played a Europa League game last night against Olympiacos. There are a number of things that we can uh, get through and talk about when we when we look at this game. I suppose first and foremost is we have to acknowledge the fact that you know, we're going to delve into uh, some of the aspects of the performance and some individual performances, I suppose, which, uh, you know, fluctuate in terms of quality. But overall, when you go away from home in Europe um, and when you're a team like Arsenal that hasn't won a, a great deal away from home this season to go there, keep a clean sheet uh, and come back with a win and an away goal, the the result itself is a very positive one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the clean sheet in particular, I mean, after the first five minutes, I thought it was going to be quite a long evening. Mm. Um, they kind of obviously came sort of racing out of the traps, buoyed by all that noise that comes off the, the terraces there. Um, we Let's say we probably got lucky, really. I mean, the, 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 the chance that the header that went just over the bar yeah. after about four or five minutes really probably could have been our undoing. But we kind of recovered our composure very well. Um, I think after about 10, 15 minutes, you sort of started to see... Um, our players look a bit more composed on the ball. There was a bit more space. They started to back off a bit. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, sometimes with these sort of second tier European league teams, you sort of get a sort of complex wash over Mm. people. If they don't get that early goal, they start to kind of back off a little bit. And um, yeah, we did. I mean, for the most part, we did okay. It wasn't a spectacular performance, but, um, you know, the fact that we, we, we wrestled control create a few chances um that was all very positive yeah look I, th- I think it's normal to expect a home team to start well uh you know in, in a game like this they're going to come out of the blocks you know if it was the other way around if it was at the emirates we'd want our team to come out and really you know have a go from from the first whistle uh, i think we came to terms with them pretty pretty quickly i think there were some issues in terms of how we were set up and a few little weird things of course the right hand side of the defense and the right hand side of the attack is not really a partnership we've seen uh, in any great detail so let's just touch on the selection a little bit socrates uh, right back um the obamiang thing we'll come to in a minute but uh what what does it say to you uh, about how Arteta views Ainsley Maitland-Niles at this moment in time that he's playing Socrates at right back. Um, you know, was it a case that he wanted his experience for a European game? He was, you know, back in Greece, uh, back in his home country, of course, and maybe that was a, a factor. But when you do have a more natural uh, fit in terms of Maitland-Niles for right back and you leave him on the bench for a centre half, uh, you know, and I think any player who has played centre half their whole career will tell you that f- playing fullback is a fucking nightmare because you've got so much more running to do. I think you could see by the end he was he was a broken man. He was absolutely in bits, cramping up all over the place and and everything else. So, should we be concerned at this moment in time? I, I I'm still trying to figure it out because it's not the first time actually that Arteta's done this, is it? I mean, I think in the Leeds yeah. FA Cup game he picked Socrates above Maitland Niles at right back. Um, obviously, it's, I think it was a good opportunity to give Hector a break, and I think whenever we can, that's important. 
I mean, I know that Tim Stillman wrote a piece recently sort of wondering whether this might look very bad for Ainsley Maitland-Niles' long-term future at Arsenal, whether Arteta just doesn't really fancy him and that, you know, if he's not going to play right back and the midfield's quite crowded, where does he fit? Mm. Maybe he doesn't. Um, I mean, ultimately, Socrates in the two games that he's played there, we've kept clean sheets. I know against Leeds it was a bit hair-raising, but... um, I, I did also wonder whether there was something about maintaining that centre-back partnership. You know, he could have put Socrates in the team if he wanted to rest someone and play him at centre-back, but he seems to have quite a lot of faith in David Luiz and, and Mustafi at the moment. Um, I don't know. The weird thing is with Maitland-Niles is that actually in the games that he played at the very beginning, when he was kind of playing at right-back and he was starting to learn those new tactics of tucking in mm. when we had the ball, he actually looked all right, much improved. Um, didn't look anywhere near as exposed as maybe he had been during some games there under Emery. Uh, it's a bit of a head scratcher at the moment. I, it, it doesn't strike me. He doesn't strike me as the type of player for whom there might be um, kind of personality issues, as it were, behavioural issues on the training yeah. ground. He seems quite quiet. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I, I would be a little bit concerned if I was Maitland-Niles and, um, you know, it's not as if he's completely inexperienced there. He played the best part of a whole year uh, right back when Bellerin was injured, you know, so mm. he has a, a fair amount of experience there in terms of his, just his physical profile. He fits that position a lot better than, you know, than a 31-year-old central defender, um, you know, who's willing and strong and able to run and, uh, you know, isn't quite as bad on the ball as people uh, suggest, Socrates, mm. but, you know, it is is a square peg in a round hole. Um, so, yeah, I, I would be a little concerned about that. Um, the one thing that would give me some optimism, I suppose, if I were Maitland-Niles or if I were analysing the situation, trying to get a real read on it, is that um, Arteta doesn't seem to have closed the door on anyone um, or if he does close the door, he leaves it a little bit ajar. You know, so you think about Danny Ceballos, who was... Um, not impressing Arteta, I think it's fair to say, because he spoke publicly about his fitness. I think when you do that about a player, it, it does suggest that you've got some concerns. Uh, Genduzzi, of course, was back in the team last night, having been left out for the Newcastle game because of a disciplinary issue, and that was a real disciplinary issue. So, you know, he was handed out his punishment, but obviously got his head down in training as come to terms with that or, or, or accepted the punishment and gone on with it and and is back in the team because of it. So I, I don't think it's a, a case that, that, you know, it's game over for Maitland-Niles, but it feels like he's got a lot of work to do to get back into the team uh, in any significant way. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if Cedric had been fit, let's say, last night, no one would have batted an eyelid about Maitland-Niles not playing at right back, right? Because it would have been a, a right back mm. in front of him. Yeah, exactly. Um, I saw James uh, retweet some some old quotes from Arteta where he was talking. I think I think the quotes were about Saka playing at left back and how enthusiastic he was to learn the position, and how if you're enthusiastic to learn the position, then you know that's a, a great starting point. Whereas Maitland-Niles has kind of gone on record and been slightly reticent to accept that he's a, an auxiliary kind of right back. Mm. Um, that was an interesting point. Uh, I think the problem for Maitland-Niles is. When Cedric does come back fit, 
I mean, I just I, I struggle to see the opportunities for him in midfield. So I don't I don't know where he does fit in 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 the in the coming months unless uh, there's a reshuffle there. Mm. Um, he's going to have to be given some chance in midfield at some point potentially. Would that be in the FA Cup game against Portsmouth? Maybe. Yeah. Um, it's 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 kind of hard to see it. And the thing is, I got thinking if someone came in and offered Iwobi level money for Maitland-Niles in the summer, you'd probably be looking around and thinking, well, maybe we should take that now. No, definitely. <laughs> if they were offering Iwobi uh, amounts of money, definitely. I- I'm not sure that they would, but I do think that, uh, that there is something we've talked about before, isn't there? When when a young player um, has made almost 100 appearances for, for mm. Arsenal, Ainsley, Maitland-Niles now, when you've made that many appearances, you're sort of a more valuable commodity, if you like, in, in the transfer market. So, you know, having a promising youngster who's only made five appearances, you know, that's all well and good. And But you get a fee that's um, that's sort of in line with that. Think about what happened with the Jeff, that he never yeah. made uh, enough appearances for us to increase his transfer value. Um, and he, he went for much bigger money uh, this summer than, than he did when we sold him. Similarly with Maitland-Niles, I think if we do sell him, it'll be a reasonable fee. I don't think it'll be as big as Iwobi because Iwobi had a bit more experience and I think you just get more for that kind of a player. But but certainly, you know, if if the if the doors aren't necessarily closed, it, it is hard to see a way back in, uh, in for him. Um, the other selection issues, Genduzi came in, as we said. Joe Willock came in for Mesut Ozil, who wasn't available. His wife was uh, about to give birth. Um, Gabriel Martinelli on the left, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the right, and Alexander Lacazette recalled to the centre-forward position. Um you could see the logic of it, like I said, it scored against Newcastle, and I suppose the hope was that it would be the thing that would spark him back into life, and ultimately he did get us the goal, but I'm not sure the overall performance was was quite there from Lacazette, and then that raises the question about what to do about, you know, Aubameyang. Um, what's, your, what's your take on Lacazette um, in that centre-forward position ahead of Aubameyang, and particularly Aubameyang on the right? Um, I mean, I, I got why Aubameyang was on the right as opposed to the left, because Saka and Martinelli have got a nice little partnership developing there. Um, I, I, if I was picking the team last night, uh, I probably wouldn't have played Aubameyang at all. I might have left him out and played Pepe, and there might have been a bit more balance between the front three. Um, it's it's a, it's a tough one, but then at the same time, I guess he's so desperate to get Lacazette scoring again, because Lacazette is not a bad player. He's just a good player playing badly um, or has been recently Um, his hold up play is very frustrating sometimes you see the ball go into him and it just sort of seems to bounce off him and Mm. kind of in in, I I thought what was interesting was that you know, I I looked at Olivier Giroud come on for Chelsea the other night in their uh, game against Manchester United and even in the sort of space of about 10 minutes you kind of remembered the sort of intricate little passes that he's capable of making when he's got his back to goal and it's some of that that I think we've been missing recently because the ball just doesn't stick in the final third for us when Lacazette's playing up front that said obviously he did make a very good run he did score a goal last night two in two you start to think okay the confidence is coming back maybe he can sort of turn it around I mean, the thing to point out as well I suppose is if you play Aubameyang as the centre forward it's not going to stick much more there either because that's not his that's not no, that's his true. game um so then you wonder 
what precisely is the is the way we're trying to attack? You know, do we want to play with a Giroud style player, or you know, think about um, think about the setup at Man City that Arteta would have worked under? You know, with, with two wide players mm. and a, a striker like Aguero, who is you know much more of a, a penalty boxer, much more of a finisher striker than your your classic hold up player. I mean, he's a very good overall player, but I do wonder if if we're sort of caught between, again, to use the analogy, caught between two stools in terms of what Arteta wants to do and what he can do with the personnel that he's got. Yeah, he's got that. And then there's the off-field stuff. I mean, it's it's very hard to sort of take players out of the team when you're sort of desperately trying to tell them that you'd like them to be part of your long-term future as well. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, that's a kind of level of balancing that he's never had to do before. Um the good thing about Aubameyang is you know that even if he's, you know, on the right at the start, at some point he'll probably pop up somewhere else. And ultimately last night he did switch to the left and playing on the left, he did make a decisive contribution. Um, and you always know with Lacquer that, um, you know, he, there is the potential to get into good positions for, for scoring. He just doesn't always take the chances. He's more of a kind of Andy Cole than a, you know, a sort of mm. an Ian Wright in those situations. He needs a few chances before he gets one. It's good. Uh, I, it's a good compar- a good comparison, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I it's it, the thing is, we saw at the end of last season, right? I mean, those two pretty much carried us to the Europa League final, mm. and it didn't really matter that they were, you know, not, I mean, they were kind of dovetailing as a, as a, as a front duo, weren't they in that situation? We're obviously not going to revert to that at the moment. Arteta's not interested in playing just two up front, but their chemistry is great. And whether that's both, you know, on the field or off the field, they have good chemistry and that is kind of vital. Um, when you, when you're not in great form, uh, I, yeah, I, I I think it's a sort of necessary evil at the moment. If you want to keep playing both of them, then um, and you know that they're going to get the most goals out of anybody in the squad, you've got to try and make a way. I I, I maybe you know you might take uh, Martinelli out if he starts to struggle for form and put Oba on the left and Pepe on the right again, which we've tried. It's there's a it's a conundrum for Arteta. Glad I don't have to make that decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Martinelli thing was interesting, wasn't it? Because you could see this was the kind of game that, that might suit his his skills, uh, his mm. running with the ball. And we, we've seen him score goals in Europe uh, this season. But it, it was a game that kind of passed him by. Uh, I think he only had 16 touches in the entire game before he was taken off in the second half for, for Ceballos. Um, it didn't occur to me that he would be taken off, actually. When they were making the substitution, having seen Genduzzi limp his way around the end of the first half, uh, I had assumed that Ceballos was coming on for for, uh, for Genduzzi to give us a bit more in midfield. But he came on for... Um, for Martinelli, Willock moved out to the, to the left-hand side. Um, you know, it, it was a bit of a shuffling of the pack to try and make something work in, in that second period. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what my question is, actually. Well, I mean, it, 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 was, it was interesting because I definitely thought it was going to be Willock or Guendouzi who was going to make. Mm. I think with Martinelli, the, 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 the thing is, is that you know, players are now obviously slightly more aware of his capabilities. And um, while he didn't necessarily make a kind of decisive impact, I still felt like he was running. I mean, he was full of energy still and, and mm. his runs were sort of freeing that left flank for Saka. 
but Saka was a bit more conservative in the first half. I mean, there were a couple of opportunities when he got frustrated with himself and he could have delivered a better ball into the box. Um, but you can't fault Martinelli's energy. And there was also, the, you know, he might have had an assist to his name if Lacazette had put that ball yeah. in the back of the net. He should have scored but it wasn't, that, shouldn't he? Yeah. He really should have scored that. It was one of those ones where you kind of, you half think, am I celebrating now? And and then you see the, the ball's actually just rippling the net because it's come off the hoardings or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it a quieter game for Martinelli, but he's going to have that, you know, with a with a young kid like that. I was looking at, you know, Ronaldo's stats or something for when his first couple of seasons at Manchester United, and um, you know, he he made an impact, but it was a sort of it was a real gradual process before he fully exploded. Now, I'm not saying Martinelli's going to become Ronaldo; that would be lovely, mm. but it's a sort of that similar sort of surprise element initially followed by people getting used to you followed by a little bit of a struggle with your form and stuff um i'll be curious to see how he plays out over the course of the next few um months actually yeah look i think we can all accept that when a player is that young and in his first season in english football as well which is another consideration that we have to uh not forget you know there are going to be fluctuations in form um one 18 year old who isn't having a fluctuation at the moment is, is Bukayo Saka. Um, I think at some point it, it will happen with him as well. There'll be a few games where, where it doesn't really click for him and that's the inevitability of, of being 18 and, and being so young and inexperienced. But, you know, what we're seeing from him at the moment is is really sensational stuff, isn't it? You know, he's obviously a player who's been tipped for first team action at Arsenal for a little while. One of the, the, the bright prospects in the academy, but there have been many of those down the years. There have been lots of players who've been the next big thing or potentially the next big thing and have come through and done okay or not done as well and just sort of faded into obscurity. It's hard to remember an 18-year-old coming through um, from the academy who's had this kind of an impact, nine assists so far this season. He is our uh, our leading assist maker. Um, it was a really excellent ball last night. I hate to give any credit whatsoever to Robin Van Persie um, <laughs> for very obvious reasons, but, but he was talking about it on BT Sport last night and, and talking about the quality of the delivery from Saka that it was, I think he said it was world class. You know, he he can find a man in the box. It's not just the case. With all due respect to, say, Kalasinac, who got a lot of assists last season under Unai Emery, there was an element of hit and hope with what he yeah. did when he got the ball in certain positions on the left-hand side. You know, the default was leather it across goal as hard as you can, low, and if someone is there, great. If not, you know, they clear it and on we go again. With Saka, you can see him look up, you can see him consider his options and and pick the options. And that that pass for Lacazette was, I think it was superb. Oh, if anything, it was all the better because he had been so frustrated with himself in the first half for not getting the mm. opportunities, you know, for, for not making the most of the opportunities that came his way. But it was a real, I mean... It was perfect. I mean, Lacazette didn't actually have to do anything. You know, he actually even, you know, made a clean contact with the ball for once um, from a yard out to put the ball into the back of the net. He didn't have to well back it in. Um, no, it's, it, it's, he's such an interesting player because there he is doing all of this as a left back. You kind of think, we know he's not a left back, but do you take him out of the side now that, mm. you know, let's say Kalasnach is, is fit? I mean, obviously you want to, you know, rest him at some point, but... 
if he comes in as a as an attacker, whose place does he take? Does he take Martinelli? Does he take you know Aubameyang's place on, as a, or Pepe's place on the wing? Um, I mean, it's a great headache to have in some ways. Um, there must be a little bit of him which is you know wondering whether he might get pigeonholed as a kind of left back. Uh, uh, the same sort of situation mm. that Maitland-Niles had, although he's obviously been far more effective going forward like that. Um, it's just a great, uh, you know, he's, he's a great option for an overload on that side. Um, he's so kind of, his tight control is, is brilliant. He, by and large, he's incredibly um, sort of, physically, he can he can deal with the big challenges, even yeah. though he's young. Um and his defensive position, I think more than anything, is he doesn't actually get caught out defensively like you might assume a winger would, especially a young winger. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. You would expect, you know, for all the, the benefits of his attacking play and what he can bring to us, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable to see him exposed now and again yeah. from an attacking point of view. But very rarely does that happen. There might be the odd cross come in, but positionally, he's very astute and... Uh, the the discipline in which he plays at left back as well as uh, getting forward is really quite incredible it's no wonder Arteta is so impressed yeah I mean what you're noticing is teams are definitely not going we're targeting him which you've seen happen with other Arsenal players in the past um, they're certainly not kind of doubling up on, on Saka because I think they're sort of aware that if, he, if they lose the ball mm. and he does have some kind of Gale Clichy-esque ability to kind of nick in front of players and then sort of start a quick burst. I mean, that we've, we've not really had at left-back for a while. We've, you know, that, the left side has always, in my eyes, been a bit slow in the last few seasons mm. compared to the, to the right. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's fair play to him. I mean, he's he's taking his chances. I mean, there's even talk about England sniffing around well, him now I, for the Euros. I was going to ask you about that because I think when a player makes the kind of breakthrough that he makes, it's inevitable that the national team will, will pay a bit of attention. But there's the other side of this um, situation, isn't there, with, with Saka in that he is... Um, he can play for Nigeria if he yeah. wants. And I suspect that... Nigeria might be quicker to move to get a talent like him on board than England might be. Um, England might feel they've got more options or they don't quite have to, you know, make the make the commitment to an 18-year-old yet. Whereas I think Nigeria, if they um, are watching this closely, I think they'd be very foolish not to be in close contact with Saka about, about his international future. So that's going to be an interesting aspect to, to what comes next for him. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously England have got something of an advantage in that they have a relationship with a player who's played at sort of under-19 level. But so did um, so did Iwobi, remember so did Iwobi, Alex? Yeah, yeah, Iwobi played for England at almost every um, underage international level before um, before declaring for Nigeria so I mean it, it would be a bit of a pain in the ass for us because they're moving the African Cup of Nations back to a January thing mm. next year so yeah <laughs> you just you'd straight away have a headache if he uh, ended up playing for Nigeria but I mean obviously he's free to make the choice he you know he wants um I wouldn't begrudge him playing for any of the countries he's eligible to play for yeah I, I suspect uh, if uh, Tayo is listening to this He'll be uh, <laughs> stopping him in the street like he stopped Christian Eriksen to enable that move to Inter Milan, which I think he deserves a round of applause for, and yeah, uh, getting him I, on board <laughs> for Nigeria. I, I, if, if I was Saka, I'd be playing for Nigeria just for their kits. I mean, they're amazing. Mm. 
Well, look, we'll see. That is an aspect of of the uh, of the future of Bakayo Saka that that he's going to have to deal with, that Arsenal are going to have to deal with, England and Nigeria as well. But it's inevitable, isn't it, that when you play that well, when you you shine the way that he has shone um, this season. You know that that's basically what happens, and that's why people are talking about his contract and his future. And there's a sort of uh, a low-level anxiety over what might happen. Apparently, I think it was a, um, Clive on the Arsenal Vision podcast mentioned that the same agent as uh, Jaden Sancho. So yeah, that is interesting. So look, whatever happens, um, Saka is going to have a uh, a much improved contract uh, the next one that he signs. You know, hopefully, hopefully it's going to be with us. Um, uh, I, I think he looks, you know, he looks happy playing for Arsenal. He looks involved. He looks like he's part of the group. And I think that's a, that's an important part of it as well. And we, and we know, of course, he's been at the club for, for many years as a Hayland graduate and his, his mates are in the team. So hopefully that all swings it our way, along with a, a very significant um, increase in wages and terms. Mm. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. It, I mean, indeed. I... I... I, 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 it makes me nervous thinking that we could we could lose a player of his quality. Having you know, this is the exact type of player that you want to get through the academy into the first team. Mm. Uh, you know, to put all of that work into bringing players like that through, and then to see them kind of sort of fumbled through your fingers and and move on elsewhere. Because I think I read that if he doesn't sign a new contract and he ran this one all the way to the end, he could actually leave for just compensation. Yeah. Wouldn't be wouldn't be ideal, but you know, is is that something we should have been more prepared for, or is it just the inevitability of a seventeen-year-old signing his first professional contract and the next year having like a, a massive, massive, and I'm not going to say completely unexpected, but um, probably a little bit unexpected. That the, the the level to which he's performed this season probably has taken a few people by surprise. So, you know. It's normal for him to only have uh, a small wage, given he was, you know, just signing professional terms in September 2018. Um, you know, is that something we could have been better prepared for, or you know, I, I think it's hard. I mean, these mm. guys, I know, you know, that when they've got agents who are managing other superstars around the world, they know when to play their cards close to their chest, right? I mean, there yeah. must have been some confidence within his camp that. You know, if he gets the opportunities, he might be able to do something. But also that if Arsenal did start negotiations early doors, that they might be better off just holding tight for a bit. They've held tight. And the longer they hold tight, the more value he's going to get out of his next contract. That's for sure. And the more exposure he has in the Europa League to, you know, any host of sides around Europe... Um, the more suitors will be lining up to have a conversation with them, and that just creates leverage in the negotiations. So, yeah, I, he's he's got he has he has the advantage at the moment. Mm. If you're Arsenal, you really just kind of look around the squad and you go, God, we've got some players here who are earning ridiculous money that we don't really want or don't need. Um, you're probably hoping a few of those might shuffle off before you can rearrange how you, yeah. you you kind of divvy up the cash. Yeah. A redistribution of wealth, please. And uh, yeah. back uh, to socialist wages at Arsenal. Well, you know, back to play back to paying players what they deserve to be paid and there's no doubt that that Saka deserves to be paid more than he's on right now. So, uh, over to you, Raul and Huss, and if you fuck this one up, uh, you know, we we won't we won't countenance that. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's talk defense. And the first line of defense is goalkeeper. And traditionally in the Europa League and in European competitions, Arsenal have rotated or they've you know they've got their their european goalkeeper and they've got their domestic or premier league goalkeeper uh i like the fact that Mikel arteta picked burned leno for the europa league last night i like that our number one goalkeeper is playing in a tournament which could be hugely significant for this football club um by the end of the season. You know, we know there's a a, a trophy uh, that we can win. We know there's entry into the Champions League. So why wouldn't you play your best goalkeeper? Um, I think we've become very used to the idea that that we should just um, have this chop and change situation in goal. What what are your thoughts on, on Leno coming in? I mean, I don't dislike Martinez or anything like it. But but Leno is clearly the number one goalkeeper. So it makes all the sense in the world for, for us to play him. And if it's disappointing to Martinez, sorry, man, that's the life of a number two goalkeeper. Yeah, I think I think it was very... Um, it was interesting that uh, Leno, in the post-match comments when he was asked about Arteta's decision, he was, one, very pleased that the decision had been made to make him play in the Europa League. Uh, he was very clear that he wanted this opportunity and this responsibility. Obviously, he missed out on the Europa League final last mm. year because he was the uh, number one ahead of Czech. Um, I, I, I think what he drew attention to was the fact that this is an opportunity for Arsenal to qualify for the Champions League. Financially, that is a huge, huge sum of money that we, we stand to gain if we get into that tournament. I mean, it's a sound business decision as much as it's a sound football decision. Mm. Play play your best players, give yourself the best chance of winning the tournament that gives you the chance to take home all of that cash. Um, I also think there's something about he seems to be wanting to develop the relationship between the centre-back partnership and the goalkeeper. So maintaining that kind of bedrock of those three kind of limits the... You know, mm. basically they're building an understanding there. I think, uh, especially if you're trying to play out from the back, that's important. Uh, I've got no problems with it. I think I think it's a a good decision by um, 
Arteta. I mean, he knows Martinez. He's you know he played alongside Martinez. Martinez has been there for ages. Um, I'm sure he was able to explain it to him. I still suspect he might rotate in the FA Cup. Yeah, that's um, fine. Which means that there's a game this month that he will uh, partake in. But um, yeah, I, I, I think you know these things could change tomorrow. I mean, if if Leno rolls over and breaks an arm because he's made a save or whatever in a in a second leg game when we're already winning, then obviously questions will be asked but I, don't think, I think it's the right thing to do I don't know? think you can I don't think you know if a player gets injured playing a game you know if it's in the second leg of this game why wouldn't he play because we've only got a one goal lead um, you know it's not as if it's a you know 4-5-0 lead in which you can say right we'll just play our second choice goalkeeper and mm-hmm. rotate the team you know when we did have a number one goalkeeper you think about Jens Lehmann was in goal the you know all season I think maybe uh, you think about the invincible season he played in in the in the Premier League played every game played in the Champions League um, and I think Graham Stack played in the in the in the League Cup and that was he it did, yeah. you know so there was no question of this European goalkeeper domestic goalkeeper thing um, when did it really start was it when Ospina came in was that really when it started? Because we'd sort of signed a very experienced international goalkeeper as um, as somebody who could I fill mean, out the squad. So you kind of you kind of have to, if you want to keep the player, you have to give him some game time. Because if you're an international keeper, if you're coming from a club where you're first choice and you're not playing at all, or or, or just playing in a few crappy cup games, crappy cup games, you know what I mean? It, it becomes very <laughs> difficult to to keep that player. But when there's a, a sort of a very established pecking order, um, it becomes it becomes easier to select the main man, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the Wenger at the tail end of his career definitely had reason to, let's say, chop and change with some of his keepers. I mean, he had the Almunia Lehman thing as Lehman's form tailed off. And then obviously there was the Shedding Smoking incident, which caused a, a, a disciplinary issue. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, th- there were all sorts of different factors along the way about why certain people. It, I mean, it must be. There's a, it used to be that a number two goalkeeper just accepted their lot right you know mm. they, they they were the backup and if the, the main goalkeeper was uh you know fit they would always play and then you ended up with people like Stuart Taylor who kind of made an entire career out of just being a, a backup mm. um it feels like it's probably harder to do that now when you know that you have to have a really really good quality goalkeeper on the bench because there are a lot of games and if someone does need a rest for whatever reason the stakes are high and you can't afford to put in like someone who's not played in three years or something yeah um it's 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 hard and then you kind of like well you've got to give them some games some of the time because if you're completely rusty when they come into a really important game then you know are they going to be able to cope with it it's it's a strange position, goalkeeper. Mm. Is it isn't football full of stories like that though, with goalkeepers who've had to like come in from the cold, and you know the first choice has been there for seven years and he hasn't missed a game, and then all of a sudden you've got to play some guy who they just found on the training ground or something. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, think Liverpool that's at the, the beginning of this season had that situation. They uh, they had a kind of guy who was. You know, I can't even remember the guy before Adrian, Ad- wasn't it? Ad- well, it was the guy before Adrian who they'd basically brought in as a, a third choice backup or something, and um, he he was sort of you know teetering on the edges of playing, and then they decided, oh, we better bring in someone with a bit more um, a bit more oomph, and Adrian came in and obviously you know won stuff, but he's he must have been signed knowing full well that he was never going to get ahead of 
Allison, mm. and this was all just a big old like opportunity for him to play a little bit of football in an emergency situation, and then take his place back on the bench. Yeah, same. Didn't West Ham have that guy who was in goal, who was like, it was like he was the work experience guy. Um, or played like the work experience guy. The, was his name Rodrigo or something? something. Yeah. Uh, he, was, um, he basically cost Pellegrini his job, didn't he? I mean, it, I think Pellegrini even has said as much over the course of the last couple of months since he's been you know, <laughs> ousted. It's all the goalkeeper's fault. Blame the goalkeeper. <laughs> That's what you do. Um, well, look, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a reality that um, Andy Lonergan, that was the guy, the wasn't guy. it? That was the yeah, Liverpool yeah, yeah. guy. That's the guy I was trying to remember. Right. Um, I suppose we should, uh, just for the sake of um, accuracy, look up the, the West uh, the West Ham guy. Um, no. I'll just type in West Ham bad goalkeeper into the internet. Yeah, see what happens. See what the internet up. won't take us wrong. Roberto. Not Roberto. Roberto. Right. Um, sorry, well, he was bad. about that. Yeah, and then they brought in some guy who was... Was he like this... He but was gone the back to Randolph, son. haven't they? No, he, oh, maybe they. Uh, it was the son of Alvin Martin, wasn't? That's right. Who yeah. kept a clean sheet at Chelsea, the one 0 and then he burst into tears. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. Like goalkeepers, a weird position. All kinds of crazy shit happens at goalkeeper. So you know, Bernd Leno being our our first choice for for Europe from now on um, seems fairly normal in the grand scheme of things. I do wonder whether Martinez again. I mean, you know he was promised that he would be back up to the number one this season, which he must have thought in his head meant guaranteed game time. Obviously this season now he's had a bit of game time. That's probably going to be taken away from him, or at least in Europe it is. Mm. He must be suddenly back to thinking, well, you know, do I want to be a proper goalkeeper or do I want to go elsewhere? Yeah, that'll give him a decision to make. And I, I, you know, was told that Arsenal were exploring the possibility of bringing in a goalkeeper in the the January window. So maybe they're looking ahead a little bit to to the summer. Um, There were links with a goalkeeper last summer as well, weren't there? A German guy. Yeah, young German Mm. guy. Yeah, that's true. Young German guy. But look, I think it shows that Arteta is willing to make the decisions he thinks are right for the team. Um, And if it feels a bit ruthless, then that's fine. I like it. I'm on board. Um, A third successive clean sheet, Andrew. Yeah. We're back. We are back. Well, no, I'm not getting ahead of myself. But look, you know, for a team which... um, Look, our, our clean sheets were like a, a dream to us. Every every Arsenal game was like that scene in Train Spotting where Spud wakes up in the bed and goes, "Oh!" Every single Arsenal game was like that because of the way we defended, the way we exposed our goalkeepers. Um, I, I know that scoring um, has been a, a bit of an issue. I know we got four against Newcastle, but in general, you know, finding the goals um, is an area in which I, I still think we need to show some improvement. But defensively, to have to have done what he's done with some of the personnel that he's done it with, I think it reflects very well on on Mikel Arteta like I'm 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 not on the the Mustafi redemption train myself I I'm glad that he's playing well but you know I've been there done that worn the t-shirt too many times to not remain fairly circumspect about what might happen with Mustafi at the center of your defense but to his credit he's playing very well David Luiz is playing very well he's got Saka an 18 year old 
you know, in inverted commas, winger playing a, a left back. He's had some issues at right back in terms of who's been available to him. You know, Hector's uh, only recently coming back to his full fitness. Um, Maitland Niles, Socrates have played there. Uh, but I think what, what we're seeing is uh, a structure and a compactness to the team overall, which is contributing in no small part to this defensive improvement. I like this quote as well. Um, he said after the game uh, about defending, he said, I was telling them that they have to enjoy defending as well. It's a big part of the game. And if you give simple balls away, you better run back and get that ball as quick as possible. Like, I like that. You better run back or else you're you're out of the team. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Right. Right? I mean, the, num- the number of times I've watched Arsenal players give the ball away, throw their hands up in the air, sort of trot back and then five seconds later the ball's in the back of our net yeah um it's quite a simple thing to do to just show some urgency once you've made a mistake um but i guess you have to all be doing it um everybody has to buy into the situation um and he's definitely got that working for him i mean you know you've got martinelli's energy you've got the responsibility of the captain of bamiang mm. we know that lacazette works hard so there's three hard-working players there um you know, with with Guendouzi and Jacker, I think they've massively benefited from uh, better positional understanding, more Jacker mm. probably than anyone else. Um, and then obviously we've had sort of Torreira playing his role, kind of snapping around in his best position, right? I mean, that has yeah. played a massive part in kind of helping us rather than trying to deploy Torreira as an attacking midfielder, as Emery was sort of des- desperately trying to do regularly. Um, players seem to be playing in the positions they want to play in, by and large. Um, and there's a, I mean, the thing is, when you win games or you stop losing games, obviously the confidence builds up. You get energised by winning and yeah. doing good things. And, the, you know, everybody starts saying positive things. The crowd is back on your side. You know, Arsene Wenger used to speak so much about how, you know, English crowds would always cheer the smallest things, not necessarily kind of technical things, but, you know, a player roaring into a tackle on the touchline to win a throw in. Uh, would be as greeted like a goal, you know, in a way that it just wouldn't be on the continent. And, um, you know, I think that's that's very true. We do, as fans, get very kind of buoyed by the idea that we see people putting effort in. Yeah. Uh, it's the smallest thing that you can ask, really. It's the base thing. It, it is, isn't it's it? It's the non-negotiable, yeah. right? You yeah. Know, as, as Arteta goes on about. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you're right to point out that, you know, we do get enthused by those things, particularly when you know you're watching a team and you can get the sense you know it's it's kind of easy for a player to look busy at times um but you can see when there's a a real commitment to to what the manager wants um and the tactical plan that he wants to put in place and and clearly I do remember Granish Acker talking about this at the the start of the season in preseason and he talked mm-hmm. about how the key thing for the team this season was to be more compact because the the spaces that we all saw and the way we were opened up uh, time and time again were were a big problem they were killing us but whether emery couldn't elicit that effort from the players or couldn't um get the instructions right or whatever it might be arteta's found the the formula because this is a team that that does work hard and is compact and does keep its shape and maintains positional discipline uh, and the defensive improvement is is uh, you know massively because of that 
Mm. I mean, Arteta said something along the lines of, you know, initially they're going to have to put in loads and loads of effort, but ultimately when they come to understand my tactics and they understand the positions and the space on the pitch, Mm. that less will be more. They'll just naturally position themselves in better positions when we lose the ball and therefore they won't have to do so much running to go chasing after it because Mm. we'll be set up as a unit and we'll be ready to defend in better kind of... We, we won't get kind of overloaded. I mean, God, the number of games we used to sit through where you lose the ball and suddenly five seconds later, the winger of the other team is sort of up by the corner flag and playing a low crossing. I mean, those overloads... I mean, even, you know, bless him, Freddie couldn't change it in the three games that he had. You know, it was it, everything was like basketball. Yeah. Um, but that was because we would race forward and then we'd turn around and we'd look and we'd go, oh fuck we've lost the ball now we're going to have to go back again yeah. and you know players running up and down like headless chickens was never going to work um, they were knackering themselves out they were running a lot great but that doesn't mean anything if you're kind of constantly running behind other players yeah. chasing them yeah, exactly if um, you're chasing yeah yeah Anyway, well, look, you know, it's, it's positive. It is positive. Another positive, uh, and overall, you know, a positive result in away goal. Um, you know, one nil is no lead that you can be comfortable with. Um, but I think we can feel confident, can't we, going into the going into the game uh, next week with a one goal lead with an away goal, playing at home. Um, you know, overall, a good night. I would I would expect us to progress from the tie, yeah. And I would mm. expect us to win the second leg and for it not to be an uncomfortable evening, mm. in theory. I mean, obviously, we've seen this season that, you know, other teams can come to the Emirates and, and win. Frankfurt yeah. did it in the Europa League as well. So we shouldn't rest on our laurels, but I don't think Arteta is going to let them do that. No, for sure. Um, we should look ahead before we go uh, to the to the game on Sunday against Everton and you know despite what he was saying about the uh, you know we've only played one game in 15 days and he's sort of suggesting he wants his players to push through and, and show the effort there were I think selection decisions made with with Everton in mind uh, I know one or two of the 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 changes were perhaps enforced because Ozil was not available. Lucas Torreira was not available. Uh, certainly one of those you would have expected to start uh, last night uh, had they been uh, with the squad. But, you know, Bellerin was rested completely. So, uh, you know, there's an acknowledgement there that, that you know, we have to manage his recovery back from uh, from his cruciate injury. Um Pepe at home probably will start. Uh, he is going to shuffle the pack again, isn't he? Because, you know, the team um, stayed overnight last night in Greece rather than flying back after the game. So they're only flying back to to the UK today. And that's what, a probably three and a half hour flight, is it, to Greece? Yeah, I'd say probably about that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's a not a not a short hop, not a long hop either, but not, not the shortest. So, you know, the players will go, uh, arrive back, have a warm down, whatever it might be, and then they've got to uh, assemble on Saturday for a bit of training and get ready for Sunday. So it, it's, a, it's a tight schedule um, and one yeah. he's going to have to contend with. It's a tight schedule. I imagine that he... Obviously, we're coming off the back of this little winter break. There will have been things that he worked on looking 
further ahead, so mm. past Olympiacos and maybe at Everton. Um, I did wonder, I mean, in terms of rotation, I mean, obviously Eddie and Ketia started up front against Newcastle. I did wonder whether, you know, that was, if that's something he'll stick with, whether he'll give him another game against Everton, mm. having played Lacazette for 90 minutes. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, I yeah, I like you. I think I think Pepe will come back into the team. I think when it comes to the tight schedule thing again, though, I mean, God, the the five six weeks that we had from when Arteta took over, were obviously so hectic that yeah, they're they're used to the the, the quick patter of top level football now. Um, about having to you know push new ideas quickly, make sure that players are aware of what the other team are going to be doing and all the rest of it. Um, we should be okay. It's an interesting. I mean, I mean Everton have had a break, and their you know their winter break is only just now ending. So they'll have they'll have fresher legs than yeah, us for sure. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, would you have any concerns there in that you know they they'll have had two weeks without a game? I don't know. Did they do any like warm weather training? Did they go to Dubai? Did they go to the south of Spain? You know, uh, did they go to Usmanov's yacht? On the you know in, wherever in he has. oh he's got his yacht yeah. in Barcelona that's right yeah who yeah, knows yeah because yeah. I spotted it when I was there a few weeks ago bloody what? huge I mean you could literally how, how did do you an know it was his session. Uh, I looked up the name of the boat which was called Dilbar Dilbar and, uh, the, fir- the first thing that came up was owned by Alicia Usmanov and it had cost eight hundred million dollars is that all yeah it's I mean honestly it's like a skyscraper but I know I've it. I've seen it there. I have seen it's, it there. It's so big. Um, you could actually do a full training session there if you wanted to. Um, I, I don't have any huge concerns. I mean, you know, we're, we're a team we've won a couple of games. If we'd lost a couple of games off the back of it and we're going into it with tired legs, I'd be more concerned. But mm. we've won two games. I feel like there's good energy. You know, I'm looking forward to it as a fan. I quite like home games against Everton. They're always quite entertaining. Mm. Um, yeah, um, it's, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because of the the sort of the Ancelotti Arteta thing, which um, you know both managers took over the same week, and mm. there was that. Uh, I think Freddie's last game in charge wasn't it? I think Arteta was officially the manager, but he didn't take charge of the game, and they had the crowd shots of of uh, Edu and Arteta and Ancelotti and um, Mashiri, you know, in in the Everton boardroom side of things. So this sort of weird trajectory that they have in tandem because Ancelotti was somebody linked with the Arsenal job. Arteta wouldn't have been a a surprise candidate for the Everton job given his, uh, you know, his past there. So that's another little part of it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's only three teams in the Premier League that are unbeaten in 2020, and two of them are us and Everton. The others, Liverpool. So, right. you know, it is kind of in form teams. Everton mm. are on 36 points. We could, we could, you know, go above them this weekend, which would be, you know, a nice little a boost as we continue to try and build momentum. Yes, that would be good. And of course, there's another big game in London at the weekend, isn't there? Uh, Chelsea and Tottenham playing mm. this weekend. So that's one where you hope there is a, a sort of 5-5 draw, a host of yellow and red cards and a number of unfortunate, but not, you know, too da- damaging hamstring and um, calf strains yeah, not- and groin strains and, 
and that kind of stuff. And a meteor, obviously. <laughs> Spurs don't have too many more strikers to have injured, do they? So. Well, the more the merrier, I say. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, look, we will leave it there uh, for now. Andrew, thank you very much uh, indeed for for being here this morning and for giving uh, us a chance to have a chat about last night and uh, a podcast to deliver to the people. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Um, it was good to chat to you. Do you want to plug your, your own podcast? I think you should. <laughs> yeah, if anybody wants to listen to... Uh, left field podcast we're uh come and follow us on twitter first at left field uh podcast and then um we we kind of do sort of 30 minutes of football chat and it's not just arsenal chat i mean i try mm. and shoehorn in as much arsenal chat as possible because i kind of know more about it than i do any other football and then <laughs> after that we i tend to get educated by my co-host another irishman carl wogan who um son of terry kind of, Son of Terry, he's he's related to to Terry. Get out, really? No, literally, yeah, quite a distant relationship. Um, But he's got some, you know, decent lilting Irish tones. He tends to educate me on other sports, which I've sort of fallen out of. um, I was going to say love with, but that's not strictly true. No, I'm interested. I I I know what you mean, though. I mean, there used there was a time where where I think my general sporting knowledge was much wider than it is now. Like yeah. you'd watch everything that because the sport wasn't on TV that much when sport was on it, you'd just watch it. So whether it was cricket or tennis, um, you know, when Wimbledon was on, everyone played tennis. Everyone was into tennis when you were yeah, kids yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. But uh, nowadays, I don't know. There's, there's too much football. That's my problem. It's mm. just if there's football on, it's my de facto like, okay, I'll watch the football. Yeah. But I'm trying to sort of teach myself to actually try and watch some other stuff. It's interesting. It's been a learning process. Anyway, we chat about that and it's okay. good fun. Well, if you want to learn about other sports vicariously through uh, Andrew being educated by the long distant relative of the great, wonderful Terry Wogan, uh, check out Left Field Podcast. All right, James and I will be here on Monday. We'll be talking about the uh, the Arsenal game against Everton. Fingers crossed for a win. Uh, fingers crossed for three points and another good performance. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Obviously, you've still got a few years in the tank yet, but uh, mm. have you started to think about what you might uh, do after the game? Would you consider doing your uh, coaching badges at Arsenal? That one's from at Nicholas Francone. Mm. I have started looking at different things. Uh, hopefully, physically, I'm going to be ready to play uh, many more years, but you never know in football, and I don't want to be in the pitch if I'm not feeling 100%. The coaching thing, I, I love some part of it, I think nowadays it's, it's very sacrificing to be a, a football manager and for my family as well. I've been travelling since I was 15 all around the world. To ask them again to follow me for the next 15, 20 years and my kids, I'm not sure about that one. 
but time will tell. Probably when I retire, I can live without football, and probably will be the case. <laughs> so I don't know. We need to make a decision. Cool. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 